0: The Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word.
1: Prophets, kings, kingdoms. That is what we're studying here on Exploring the Word and we've covered a a prophet we're in the process of looking at the second king of the united kingdom and that is david and uh, it takes a little longer to go through david's life than others and but today we're talking about after goliath is slain by david he is elevated and uh, they come back from a war after david has become a part of saul's army and a leader And they meet them singing and dancing and playing the tambourines. And this is the song they sang. Saul has slain his thousands. Man, that sounds good. And David his ten thousands. Now listen to Saul's response to that song. Chapter 18 of 1 Samuel verse 8. Then Saul was very angry. This is Bert Harper along with Dr. Alex McFarlane, and we are going to discuss uh, David, but in doing so, we've got to look a little bit at Saul and David. Alex, uh, David, uh, he is a unique man, okay? He was yes, a shepherd. Yes. He was a songwriter. He could play music. He was a, he, I, I think I could catch on. He love art, and he was a great leader of men and a warrior. Uh, Quite a man, wasn't he?
2: He was. And you know what's uh, interesting? And by the way, we welcome everybody to Exploring the Word. Bert and Alex here. So honored that you're listening. Uh, You know, almost simultaneously with God's rejection of Saul and the anointing of David, the Spirit of God left King Saul. And it says an evil spirit began to trouble Saul incessantly, but the Spirit of the Lord came upon David and he you're right he had musical skill he had leadership skill he had slain wild animals and even from his childhood apparently was known for his courage and had a pleasing demeanor he had you know a good personality and people skills and so you know while Saul's reign is over David Um, had returned to Bethlehem for kind of a period of time. We don't really know the length of it completely, but um, really his whole life was preparation for this greatest work of all to be Israel's, many say, greatest king.
1: And matter of fact, I would say he was, because what's going to happen uh, in the southern kingdom after this one kingdom turns into two kingdom. You had the northern, which made up te- of 10 tribes. The southern made up of the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin. Uh, the northern tribes had no good kings. We're just, we're telling yeah, you that didn't. before it ends. The southern kingdom uh, looked at it, and everyone was rated good or bad according to what, how they compared to David. They would mm. say they were locking unto David, uh, or they went against there. So yes, David had set the standard, you know, and we're always talking about types of, of Christ in the Old Testament. Yes. So many ways, again, we're, David is not the Christ, but he, so many ways he is. Notice, he is the king of this great kingdom. He was, uh, you know, anointed by God and everything, all the other kings was judged according to his kind of reign. That's the way we come up short of the glory of God, Alex, because we, if we compared ourselves to other men, some of us would never make it anyway, but some people would be better than others. But when we compare ourselves to the standard of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is perfection, we all come short of the glory of God. And so, that's what they did. They compared to King David's reign. But in chapter 18, something starts, and it goes over three chapters. Saul is very angry. That is so important in chapter 18, verse 8. And he begins a, just an uh, entourage of trying to end David's life. Matter of fact, if I counted them right, seven different times Saul tries to kill David. Now, Alex, <laughs> uh, David had the opportunity to uh, to take care of himself by killing Saul, but he did not do it. But the first one he does here in chapter eighteen, verse ten, he throws a spear at David and trying to something? kill him. Yes, the anger. Now, let's uh, and I'm going to throw it back to you in just a second. That what you talking about? The spirit of the Lord departed him. It seemed like after that happened, it was a downward spiral with anger and, I I would say, demonic, even demonic actions, you know?
2: Uh, Yeah. Uh, There's so many lessons from the life of David, and you're right. He is very pictorial of of Jesus who would come. Uh, David's life was one of triumph, but it was also one of danger. And, well, I mean, we certainly see that in the life of Jesus, don't we? But um, one of the things that I think about David, and and I know some of the more famous things would be that he killed Goliath and that he had a relationship with Bathsheba. Uh, If killing Goliath was maybe a great moment of glory, certainly Bathsheba and the subsequent killing of Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, that was a a low point. But David was a man of integrity, and he, he, you know, was a man of... of, uh, character because, look, once when Saul came into the the very cave where David was hiding, David or any of his men could have killed Saul, the man that was, you know, insane with anger and jealousy, throwing spears at him, you know, putting a reward on his head. But um, David had a—I don't know if the word is a sense of humor, but shrewd—cut off a little piece of Saul's robe one time indicating that he could have killed Saul, but he chose not to because he honored God. And and by the way, when Saul was so much in the flesh, Saul's life wasn't spared necessarily because David respected him as a person, but it was because of David's um, deference to God that he spared the life of Saul. But I look at David and I see courage, I see convictions, I see character. In spite of the Bathsheba incident... I do see character in the life of David, don't you?
1: It is, and you do see that and we understand that. You know, you was talking about, you know, he had character. Uh it doesn't mean you don't make mistakes and even sin. It means that when you do, you own at least it means you own up to it. Now that doesn't excuse you doing it every time. Don't get no, there's restraint, you know. But Guard- but I'm
2: gonna tell you something about David. And and this is this should be all of us. David was not perfect, but he was willing to accept rebuke. Exactly. W- when it came. And that's and what by, we
1: need to, Alex. We understand we ourselves either in God's rebuke sometimes through the word of God or someone coming
2: or a godly person.
1: Exactly. You're right.
2: Do you know what I honestly think? A rebuke is a gift from God. You know, and let me just say this. There have been times in my life when I, somebody came to me and pulled me aside and said, Alex, you know, you, you were you got a little bit ahead of yourself there. You need to apologize to this person or, you know, moving forward, you need to, you know, do something differently. And I guess in the flesh, there's always something, you know, if if you get a, a rebuke or a correction, sometimes you want to defend yourself. But, you um, a rebuke is very often a gift from the Lord, and frankly, the one who brings it is is being a person of courage, like Nathan, and certainly the the vignette between uh, Nathan the prophet and David is just something is one of the most riveting encounters in all the Bible. But David, while he you know he had done something immoral and he abused his authority as king. When the godly man, Nathan, came to rebuke him, David received it, didn't he?
1: He really did. And I think it has to do with the character he displayed earlier when Saul was trying to kill him. He, you know, he went to face Goliath and he said, the battle is the Lord's, you know, the Lord will deliver me. He's delivered me out of that a, a bear and a lion. God will. And now with even King Saul, uh the battle with Goliath was one time. The battle with Saul would be ongoing, and 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 so and yet he displayed that kind of humility, uh, restraint, and character that you were talking about. And, and again, it's 18, 19, and 20, and uh, when, when those of you that are listening read those, and you'll find it just amazing how, how Saul tried to kill David, but how each time David was able to escape, God's hand was upon him. I could not help but think about that, Alex. You remember uh, our, our first president, uh, George Washington, when he was a general, there was this battle going oh, on, not during yeah. the Revolutionary War, but before that, uh, the French and Indian War, and he was fighting. And they could not get over how no nothing of the arrows or anything would strike him. And when he got through, as as the story goes, he had some holes in his coat where where they went through, but he was not touched. And they said, yeah. "Man, he is the one." Uh, and, and it was, I believe, God does protect. Uh, you know, those that he has a plan for, it doesn't mean you don't get out of line. I think Moses was supposed to take the children of Israel into the promised land, but because he, sl- uh, you know, struck the, the rock rocks. in disobedience, yeah. it was cut short. So God's got plans for your life. You don't need to cut it short. David here, I think, uh, demonstrated that, He believed and trusted God to protect him even when Saul was trying to kill him, Alex.
2: Well, amen. That's true. Uh, He was the object of providential protection. And uh, truth be told, we've all had that providential, sovereign protection of God uh, at some point or another. But, you know, let me say this, and this is in no particular order, but in the life of David, um, he was... He was passionately committed to the Lord. He worshiped, didn't he? Um, he, he was a, a man's man, but he had emotions. He wept. He shouted for joy. He worshiped God. Um, I want to say this, too. He was a man of great wisdom, you know? All right. When uh, David became king, David got some of Saul's inner circle to be friends with him. Um I don't know that quote. I don't I've I've pondered that quote. People used to say, Hold oh, your friends close and your enemies closer. Did you ever hear that? I have, yes. Um do you know what? David knew how to have a relationship even with those that were maybe his enemies, you know, or um had been the friend of his enemy. And so David was um I don't know if I want to say shrewd, but I think he was pretty wise, don't you?
1: I do. And one thing I wanted to do before I—I I know I'm talking about this conflict with Saul and David, but there's a psalm that he wrote that I—I want to share just a little bit. It's Psalm 59. After you read First Samuel 18, 19, and 20, read Psalm 59, and it talks about how his enemies come against him. But listen to the last two verses. But I will sing of your power. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning. For you have been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. To you, O my strength, I will sing praises. For God is my defense, the God of my mercy. I would say this, David knew God. He was in the hollow of God's hand. Beautiful Mm -hmm. story about God's deliverance, Alex.
2: Well, we're going to look at more of the life of David here on Exploring the Word. We're so glad you're listening. More of the life of David in our study, kings, prophets, and kingdoms, plus your calls, Bible questions, and much more. Stay tuned to this edition of Exploring the Word, which is back after this brief break.
3: This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders.
0: Today, we pray for Julie Sue, Deputy Secretary of Labor at the U.S. Department of Labor. Her office oversees work-related standards, including wages, hours, and unemployment benefits. Romans 4.4 reminds us of the importance of fair work for fair wages. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask you to guide Julie Sue as she helps oversee fair employment standards in our country. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen.
3: Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org.
0: Dr. Tony Evans says when we fail to act on faith, we're not only stuck with nobody's help but our own, we're sending a very dangerous message to God Himself. He'll explain today as we spend two minutes with Tony.
3: Faith is not one of the things you need. It is the key thing you need if you want to experience God. All of us here today who don't roll by faith, we ain't talking about visiting faith on occasion, where faith is not your modus operandi are living a life displeasing to God. To not live by faith is to call God a liar. Every time we leave faith, we say, God, you don't know what you're talking about. In fact, you are a downright liar. Now, while nobody here would come out and just verbally say, God, you are a bold-faced liar. When God says something, And you don't operate on it by faith. He said, you just called me. You challenged my integrity. Now, how do you feel when you know you told the truth and somebody tells you, you lying? That means they have insulted your integrity. We have Christians who live a lifestyle of insulting God's integrity. Because they don't live by faith, every day they get up, they got God, you're a liar. You're a liar in the morning. You're a liar at noontime. You're a liar when the sun goes down. You're a liar all day long. Why? Because I choose not to live by faith because I don't believe that you are a person of integrity. Therefore, I'm going to take care of this mama myself. Without faith, you have challenged the integrity of God.
0: If you're ready to start acting on what you believe, Check out Tony's two-volume teaching series, Heroes of the Faith, available online at TonyEvans.org. And be sure to join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony.
2: edition of Exploring the Word, we're talking about King David, and so often in the book of Psalms, you'll see the words, a psalm of David. One of those is Psalm 27, and, you know, we've been talking about the courage of David and the wisdom and just the life of King David. Psalm 27, which is one of his psalms, says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? It goes on and on, and uh, talks about uh, being in the house of the Lord, dwelling there all the days of your life. And it says, "'Teach me your way, O Lord,' verse 11, Psalm 27. "'Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries or false witnesses. I believe that I will look on the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord.'" Uh, Bert, when I read Psalm 27 and we're talking about the life of David, uh, the great psalms like that, rejoicing in the Lord, standing in the Lord, just everything in God your Savior, God your source, that was King David. It's a great lesson for us as well.
1: It is, and we need to take the psalms. Uh, I've When people are really struggling, let me just suggest this, uh, for a month, especially a month with 31 days, read one proverb a day, and five psalms and uh you know proverbs will bring you the wisdom of god beyond measure and the book of psalms will express your hearts and you desire for god and you need both you need his presence you need his wisdom and so i think that's great and Alex, when we come to David's life and the confrontations again, the latter part of the book of 1 Samuel is confrontation and Paul doing, uh, excuse me, David, uh, you know, what all he did, his exploits in battle, also about the demise of Saul and his, uh, you know, going. And it brings us to 2 Samuel. Now, again, you may want to go back, but I felt like we need to bring this in. Finally, David has been anointed King by Samuel, but now in chapter two of 2 Samuel, David is officially outwardly. That was secretively. That was in Bethlehem, uh, there in the quietness of Jesse's home. But now before everyone, he is anointed king in chapter two of 2 Samuel over all of Judah. Now the again you see these this I would say this division that had already started happening between Judah and Jerusalem, Benjamin, and then the 10 northern tribes, because later on in chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, David mm-hmm. is anointed his reign over the other, the Israel, and he is king now over what is called the United Kingdom. And that's, that's why we're calling this, this a series of studies Prophets, Kings, and Kingdoms. Because here, the possibility of it being separated was real. But King David, you're talking about his wisdom, you're talking about his character. He waited on God at the appropriate time so that this kingdom would be one and not two. Alex, again, you see God's hand in it, but you do see the wisdom of David as he waited upon the Lord to bring it about as well.
2: Well, and you know, he was uniquely positioned to lead the whole kingdom because, I mean, he was a legend. I mean, you get the impression he was a legend in his own lifetime. Um, He was a man who had favor with all of the Israelites, especially those in Judah, but his killing of Goliath, don't you know that made him kind of a national hero to to everybody?
1: Right, and he would—the trophy, the sword— would be taken and kept as a trophy, a memento, and he would use it later. But again, this is David. Saul has died. Samuel has died. And now King, he is King David reigning on his own. Uh, and I, I would say this, and I'll throw it back to you real quick. You will see him seeking God. And every time you find these words, and it's usually in the New King James and others, it may say different, but he inquired of the Lord. Each time he inquired of the Lord, he made good, good decisions. One or two, two or three times when he did not, quote, inquire of the Lord, bad decisions. Even in his wisdom and his character, he needed God to direct his paths, didn't he?
2: Well, he did. He did. You know, while we're talking about the heart of David, and he he was not afraid to express emotion, worship God, um, there's something I wanted to bring out that I think is very interesting. You're right. Okay, David was the king. He was the heir apparent, but Saul, you know, was still around for a little while. Do you remember the situation when a runner comes? Saul died at a place called Gilboa, G-I-L-B-O-A. So a runner goes to Ziklag uh, to tell David that um, Saul and Jonathan had been killed. Do you you remember this? Yes, I do. Yes, yes. Okay. This messenger thinks he's going to get a reward from David, so he lies. And he brings him the news, Saul is dead. And he tells King David that it was he who personally finished him off, right? All right, David had had... His own opportunities, he could have killed Saul, but he never did. And so the lying messenger was put to death. And then David goes into a very heart wrenching lament for Saul and Jonathan. And um, this is in uh, 2 Samuel, but he says, You know, tell it not in Gath, do not proclaim it in the streets of Ashkelon, uh, or the daughters of the Philistines will rejoice. And uh, the mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain. I mean, in other words, David calls for for a weeping and a drought. Really, O oh, daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you with crimson in luxury, who put on ornaments of gold on your apparel. Oh, how the mighty have fallen in the midst of battle! See, uh, Psalm. I mean, Second Samuel one twenty five. That's a famous word now, but. Saul had brought some prosperity. Now This is David's mortal enemy, but he laments and basically calls for a national time of, of mourning. It reminds me of um, the Lincoln-Douglas debates. Abraham Lincoln debated Stephen Douglas, and it got pretty fierce. And Stephen Douglas had been uh, pretty brutal and, frankly, cruel in his public opposition to abraham lincoln and mocked his appearance and everything and yet when lincoln was assassinated they said that um stephen douglas went to the capitol and wept and looked at all the crowd and he said this was the finest human being i ever met wow of abraham lincoln but david david did not gloat over the the tragic uh very untimely death of saul did he
1: he did not. And we've got to look at this real quick. I don't think we need to spend a lot of time. His son, Saul's son, Jonathan, was, quote, David's best friend. You yeah. know, how you like that? And then also, David would marry Saul's daughter. You know, that was one That's of his wives. True. I and
2: forgot that. Yeah, yeah. And
1: so you have this relationship that is so, uh, I don't know how to say it, mixed up, weaved together. And uh, it's
2: complicated. It is. But as we say today, it
1: would be. But David maintains his integrity during this period of time. And, and that was what's so unique. And even after he is anointed king of the southern part, Judah, Ishbosheth is anointed king Israel. They wanted a different king at that point in time. So David had the battle. You know, God's anointed. He waited he wasn't going to usurp Saul. Did you notice that? He wasn't yeah. going to touch God's anointed. Uh, he wasn't going to usurp him. But when Ishbosheth comes along and he declares himself king, David is ready for battle. Now you know it's not like he was uh, okay. I can't do it. No, he he was reluctant with Saul and he did not. But with ish he goes in and he takes that and he has the battle with him. And then the victory is his. And and so we have a lot of intrigue going here in the first part of 2 Samuel. Again, till you come to the part where chapter five, David is anointed king over the northern or the, the nation of Israel. And so King David is the king over this kingdom. And you and I talked about this earlier, feeling like we need to bring this in this is what we see in David, that type uh, of Christ, if you would, that you see him having this kingdom and Jesus would have his kingdom. Uh, you know what he said to to, to uh, Pilate when he was before him, my kingdom is not of this world. But yes. Jesus is king of kings over his kingdom, isn't he?
2: Well, he is. He is. And, you know, let me say this, that the, the Bible says God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. All right, when Saul died, David didn't gloat. When Ishba, Ishbosheth, Saul's son, is beheaded, you know, they brought Ishbosheth's head to David expecting a gift, and David did not rejoice. In fact, um, the two men whose names I probably can't pronounce correctly, Re- Rechab and Benaiah, or Banan, um, they were executed for killing Saul's son Ishbosheth. Yeah,
1: this is in chapter four, Second Samuel. David it, again, read it, this. I, I, hey, people no need to read the it. It'll, of... it'll really come together, yeah. won't it, Alex?
2: Yeah. And so after this, finally, the house of Saul is done with, and there's going to be a united kingdom now. For and get this, hey, <laughs> David, pictorial of Jesus, he reigned for. Thirty-three years, yeah, and Isn't seven, that amazing? It is
1: now seven years was a crossover. This is what's amazing. Same Saul, you know, he. I, I wrote it down to make sure I had the halfway had it right about his reign, and, and it is. And and for his days, uh, from t- one thousand uh, eleven BC to ten thousand eleven BC to ten thousand and four BC there was kind of a battle for the reign. That's what we were talking about the anointing. But then David would reign over the United Kingdom for 33 years. Alex, you are exactly right. Now, notice Uh, Saul reigned in his complete time 32 years, which means what? He comes up short. You catch what I'm saying? Wow. Saul came came up short uh, because he forsook God and went that way, but David completed his days, and uh, so he would reign for 33 years, plus the seven years of this battle that was going on that he knew he would be king one day.
2: Yeah, exactly. Now, you know, in life, uh, God doesn't always let us do what we've got planned for ourselves. David wanted to build a temple, didn't he? Um, Now, Nathan tells David that David shouldn't build a temple, uh, that Nathan had told David, said, God is going to bless you, you're going to have a descendant whose throne would be forever. Um, and David wanted to build a temple, though, and he got some of the building materials, but being a man of war, he didn't get to build the temple. But he did have many, many triumphs over his life. The the dark chapters of his life, though, um, he was in prosperity, and he was on the housetop, and he saw Bathsheba. And do you remember regarding the when it transitioned into the time of Bathsheba, which immorality was joined with a murder and for a time lying and cover up? But it said it was the time when kings go off to battle, and he wasn't. He was idle at a time when it would have been well served if he had been busy.
1: That's yeah, true. This is in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And, and again, we are moving fast because we're not doing a detailed study, but we're hitting these light, ha- highlights. And so we've seen, as you said, you've set it up well, Alex, the height of the battle with Goliath, the height of his humility refusing to kill uh, Saul and, and him singing these songs, writing those psalms, and here it is and again, and you said it well, uh, he, he was at a place where he should have been at another place. You have to watch yeah. where you – I think there's some application there for us. We better watch. You remember that little song, uh, you know, listen, uh, be careful little ears what you hear, be careful little eyes what you see, be careful little mouth. That's a children's yeah, song. that's true. But guess what? It's still doctrinally correct. You better be careful. Uh, where, you know, where when you're supposed to be somewhere uh, that God has had you and you are not there, um, the, uh, the possibility of making bad decisions and doing something wrong is really, I think it doubles the possibility, Alex.
2: Well, you know what's so fascinating to me about King David? Um, you know, he knew how to look after animals. He had, he had some, some farm boy in him, you know? He was a builder, he was a general, he was a leader, Um, fascinating person, probably brilliantly intelligent, but he, his heart was all about worship. Of the 150 Psalms, we know that David wrote 73 of them, now there are Psalms, now here's the heart of David, because the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart, and yet... we often think about some of the things he did wrong. But there, there were psalms of um, lament and mourning. There were psalms that are called psalms of wisdom. There were psalms that are called imprecatory psalms, praying about some bad thing, praying against somebody. But the majority of the psalms of the 73 that David wrote, uh, they were praise to God, thanksgiving to God, worship to God, uh, all about lifting up the Lord. Here was Israel's great king, very pictorial of Jesus in many ways, but he, you get the impression, rightly so, that his heart was consumed with worship for the Lord.
1: And it's so easy to get off track. That's why he would write, guard your heart. When he was on that rooftop and he saw Bathsheba, his heart was not guarded He had let down his guard. You want to keep your guard up. what you see, what you say. We're going to come back after this break, and we're going to take your questions. We really want to hear from you. That number, if you could call us, is 888-589-8840. Give us a call here on Exploring the Word.
0: To sharpen the biblical worldview of Christians and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That is the mission of the Christian Worldview Radio program. I'm host David Wheaton, inviting you to join us this Saturday morning at 9 Eastern, 8 Central, as we discuss all matters of life and faith from a decidedly biblical perspective. The Christian Worldview, Saturday mornings at 9 Eastern, 8 Central, right here on American Family Radio.
1: But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. James 1.22 My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. This scripture underscores the harrowing reality that permeates the life of many who profess to be Christians. The blessing of being a Christ follower comes not only from hearing God's word, but obeying it. James continues, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law of liberty and perseveres, being not a hearer who forgets, but a
0: doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III. Public Policy Analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with a minute in God's Word to help you keep moving forward. Isaiah 43 verse 2 says this, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. In 2010, a terrible rainstorm devastated Nashville, Tennessee. Some homes flooded all the way to their rooftops. A terrified, expectant mother went into labor in her home without access to medical help. But a doctor who lived not far away was able to trudge through the flooded streets to assist her in the delivery. In spite of raging floodwaters, both mom and baby were safe. When the waters rise in your life, God is with you, and He will never leave you or forsake you. He'll lead you safely through the storm, so don't be afraid. Jesus is Lord of your storm, and He will keep you safe. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 830 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. But he saves the poor from the sword of their mouth and from the hand of the strong. So the helpless has hope and injustice has shut its mouth. American Family Radio.
3: We've all searched for the light of day and dead of night. We've all found ourselves worn out from the same old fire. And we've all run to things we know just ain't right. And there's a better life. There's a better
1: life. Amen. There's a better life, and we hope you found it in Christ Jesus. He is the chain breaker. And uh, I pray that you've come to him for our salvation. We're going to take phone calls. We've got lines open, several lines open today. You had not been as quick as you are many times. And that number is 888-589-8840. 888-589-8840. Give us a call, Alex, and I'd love to hear your question. We'd yeah. love to talk with you, do our best to give you a solid biblical answer. So if you have that question, make that phone call right now. Alex, uh, it's always exciting to get these phone calls, isn't it?
2: It is. We're going to go to the calls in just a second. I want to remind people of two quick things. Um, One, in just a month, the Truth for a New Generation Apologetics Worldview Conference is coming to First Baptist Church of Myrtle Beach. We're going to have Sandy Rios, Frank Turek, Bishop E.W. Jackson live in person. Very special breakout electives to help you reach young people, to equip your church to reach young people. And it's coming up uh, October 15 through 17, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. There's ample lodging, restaurants. It's wonderful. Some people might even get in a game of golf while they're down here. But this is our first big worldview conference post-COVID. And, Bert, we need a biblical worldview in America, and so I want to encourage everybody, go to my website, which is alexmcfarland.com. That's just my name, alexmcfarland.com. Come and get equipped to give a response to the woke movement, critical race theory. We must, we must defend our nation. TNG will help you do that. The other thing I want to say, Bert, is every summer we do a worldview camp, and um, July 17 through 27 next year. And I'll, as we get past TNG, I'll tell you more about this. We're going to be resuming our biblical worldview camp for young people, uh, middle school and high schoolers, and we have speakers like Miki Addison and Will Addison. Uh, the last time we did our apologetics camp, we had students from 23, 24 states. So my website again, alexmcfarland.com, and we're out there trying to not only win the lost, but equip the saved, because Bert, I love this nation, but if we don't have a revival, America's got dark days ahead. So let's all band together, know what we believe, and be able to defend our faith for the future of our country.
1: I want to tell you, you'll be blessed by being at either one of those or both of those, and you could get a double dose this year and next year as well. Well, Alex, we've got people that have called in. You ready to take the phone calls?
2: Let's do it. We're going to go to Paul in North Carolina. Paul, are you there? Hello, Paul.
1: Okay. There he is. He's make... there now, Alex. Go Good ahead, Paul.
3: Hey, uh. I have a question about the Jewish people, and I, I'm, to me it don't sound right to say that they have a free pass to get to heaven. Can they be saved now, and what's going to happen uh, after Jesus comes, after the millennium? Are or, or, or the Jewish nation the dead, all the ones that have died already, are they going to be saved, or do they have a free pass? Or what's, what's the, oh, I don't okay. understand Amen. on that.
1: Thank you, Paul, for calling. Let me just tell you, Jews can be saved. One of my best friend is a completed Jew, as he calls it, not converted, but completed. And uh, he is one of my dearest friends, and he loves Jesus. So the answer to your first question, you better believe Jews can be saved. Alex, you and I have talked about it. Right now, we've heard that there's more Christian Jews in Israel than there's been in maybe ever or at least a long time aren't exactly they?
2: yeah exactly and now um to the college question and we talk about that in our new book on 100 bible questions and answers they nor anybody gets quote a free pass everybody must be born again through faith in jesus christ but jews can be saved of course anybody can be saved paul said in romans 116 the gospel was to the jew first and also to the Gentiles. And Paul, he said, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they would be saved. So they can be saved. Now, all the people of all of history that uh, either put their faith in the Savior or didn't, um, there's no second chance after death. Jews and Gentiles alike go to heaven the same way through a relationship with the Savior, don't they, Bert?
1: They do. And it is, Jesus said it, I am the way. Uh Listen, I, I wasn't an English major like my co-host Alex McFarland yeah. was. I was far from an English major. But I knew, I found out what a definite article is, you know? This, yes. uh It's not one of, it is the way, and Jesus is the way. And that's true for anyone, anywhere, at any time while they're living. And that's the whole issue, Alex, the time the Bible says in Philippians, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. The issue is, where will you do it? Will you do it now? If you would, and you would ask Christ in your life, we ask you to call this number, 888-NEED-HIM. 888-NEED-HIM. There's some people there that will help you. They will guide you and pray with you to make sure that you are the ones that is going to be able to be with Jesus in heaven. So praise the Lord. Thank you, Paul. Where do we go to next?
2: How about Julie in Texas? Julie, are you there? I am. Welcome. Thanks for holding.
0: Thank you. I have a, a just a quick question about um, how God speaks. We, our pastor has said many times that God only speaks through the Bible, um, not through dreams or visions. Um, I've... I've heard God speak to my heart, you know, not an audible voice, but you know what I mean. So I'm just wondering, biblically, is there anything to back up the fact that he, or the idea that he only speaks through his word?
1: Go ahead, Alex, you go first today.
2: Well, God bless you. I'll say it this way. I definitely do think that God leads us through dreams, circumstances, a word from a friend, some, God might even lead you through the word of a non-believer, uh, maybe a word of rebuke or something. Now, the fundamental way God leads is through His Word, and God will never lead you to do something contrary to His Word. But the indwelling Holy Spirit, um, sometimes it's an influence that the Lord exerts over us. Maybe God is sort of nudging us. And then I think there's times the Holy Spirit of God absolutely gives us um, a very clear directive, and I I feel like I've had many assignments and directives from God, but um, we use the word speak. Uh, Let's also use the word lead and guide. You know, um, God very often guides us through circumstances. Would you agree?
1: I agree fully. Let me tell you, and and I want to promote this. AFA Store has a uh, ministry for this, The God Who Speaks. It is fantastic, Julie, and you can get that, and it will let you know what Alex is just talking about. Uh, My my oldest son, who works with me, he's co-host on Exploring Missions, the weekend program that I do, and uh, he was a missionary to to refugees, and most of them were from uh, Islam background, and God would give them dreams. And when they, Nathan and others, would start sharing with them about Jesus, they would say, that's the one I've dreamed about. And God used dreams to prepare them to hear the Word of God, but God was speaking through that. Alex, uh, good answer, but the God who speaks, afastore.net. Where to next?
2: All right. All right. Is this a Minnesota van in Minnesota?
3: Yeah. Hello. Uh,
2: Yeah, thanks for holding. We're glad to have you.
3: Hi, Bert and Alex. Uh, Thank you. Uh, May God keep blessing you guys so you can bless others. I really appreciate, you know, you guys, what you do.
2: God bless I heard
3: you guys earlier talking about David, and when he took his eyes off Jesus that he did something bad, I remember saying from my mom, Anytime she heard someone did something bad, she would say, The devil make good of idle hands, you know, good work of idle hands. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) My daddy really believed that. There's a four, there's
1: a four, that
0: is true though. Yeah,
1: there's a four letter word that we could not use, bore or bored. It was really five letters. If I used, I was bored, I want to just tell you. I wouldn't be bored for the next uh, few uh, days, Alex. My dad had plenty for me to do, and so mm. yeah, I I would. They, uh, that was a great comment, Van. But Alex, I do say this: you know, keep your eyes on Jesus, look full into His wonderful face, and the things yes. of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and His grace. Was it Spurgeon that said he tried to think of Jesus on the cross every? 15 minutes or so
2: oh yeah and
1: uh if you'll do that i want to tell you it does make a difference
2: well it, it does and and let me just say this too um while handling adversity can be a challenge i think it it may actually be harder to handle prosperity and many a person david included fell away into sin after great great blessing from god and so God will bless us, but the question is, can we handle that blessing? But thank you, Van. Great call, great question. Uh, we're going to go to Ginger in uh, Mississippi, I believe it is. Ginger, welcome to Exploring the Word.
3: Hey, Bert, and Alex, thank you for taking my call. Um, I just got a question. I know the Catholics; they confess to a priest
0: and have to do penance for however they do it. So how does that differ from what they did in the Old Testament? Because in the Old Testament, they had to make, I know they had to make sacrifices, but is there a, besides Jesus, what is the difference in the way they used to do with the Old Testament in making sacrifices and confessing their sins to the priest and then the priest speaking to God about it?
1: Thank you, Ginger. Thank you for calling. Thank you for listening, and we are blessed that you would. Alex, let me let me start this by asking question: Is there a difference in repentance and repentance?
2: Uh, yeah, there's a big difference, yeah. and that there, that, that there big really, difference
1: really is the important now. Again, when we get to that point in the Catholic Church, uh, you know, and those of you that are listening are Catholic, listen to this, and I. The difference is really, I, I think, invaluable and helpful. Go ahead.
2: Well, and let me recommend a, a book. Um, Chuck Colson, many years ago, and Charles Colson, was he was a, a very close personal friend and, um, anyway, real good Christian scholar. But he wrote a book, um, and I think maybe his co-author, I'm trying to remember, it might have been Cardinal Avery Dulles, but it was basically— um, evangelicals and Catholics uh, right. Richard John Newhouse you remember that yes I do yes yeah. evangelicals and Catholics you know what do we agree on now and things like marriage and being pro-life and religious freedom and certainly the deity of Christ and the the Bible being the authoritative Word of God um, Colson as a Protestant was working with Richard John Newhouse who you know diligently trying to clarify where we agree, or where we maybe don't agree. Now, there are a lot of things Catholics and Protestants do agree on. There are some very clear things that we don't agree on. Um, You know, the Pope being the head of the church. Well, Protestants say, no, fallible humans aren't the head of the church. Jesus alone heads up his church. And there's a lot we could say. In fact, we probably ought to do an entire show on this at some point. But, the priest of the Old Testament and the confessional and the priest of the modern Catholic Church are really not the same, are they? Because while you know they would, in obedience to God, slaughter an animal and the priest would take it into the Holy of Holies, that was a temporary covering uh, till the blood of Jesus was shed, which was a permanent eradication of sin. But just because the Old Testament religious figures... And the Catholic clergy share the word priest. They really weren't of the same function, really, were they, Bert?
1: They were not. And again, repentance, you know—that means you got to go out and you do something in order to be uh, that res- restoration. God teaches the repentance. First uh, John, you know, five—it uh, talks about if you repent and and turn to Christ. So that that is a big difference. We're going and, to try to get we... this last uh, last person if that's all right alex tracy in tennessee go ahead tracy
2: hi bird and alex yes my question is okay yes my question is what does it mean when david said he was after god's own heart i've always wanted that question and i'm gonna hang up and listen thank you
1: okay uh your heart is made up of your mind your will and emotions okay Uh, Now, after God's own heart, we don't have that. It's just the center of God. Uh, David desired to know God, to worship him, and to please him. It didn't mean perfection. No one has ever achieved that but Jesus. But it did mean, Alex, that he had a heart for God, and he wanted to please him and know him. I think it's best illustrated. Let me do this, and you'll have a minute to carry us out. When he, des- when he became king, one of the first things was he wanted to bring the ark back to Jerusalem or bring it to Jerusalem. Now, he did it wrong, and then he dove into the Word of God and found out how to do it. But that was his heart, to have God and his presence at the very center of his life and the center of the nation, wasn't it?
2: It really was. By the way, David being a man after God's own heart, that's found in Psalm 89 and Acts 13. What's interesting, the wording, God says, I'm looking for a man who shares my heart. So I think it's the things that were the priority to God are the par- were the priority to David and could and should be the priority for us. It What's is. That? Amen. Salvation, winning people, serving God, knowing his will.
1: Amen, Alex. Well put. Hey, tomorrow we're going to dive in a little bit more about Bathsheba, Uriah, And Nathan, we've got to cover that just a little bit more than we did today, and then we'll continue on with the life of David. Thank you for listening to Exploring the Word here on AFR. Tell someone about this program, but more importantly, tell them about Jesus.
0: Amen. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not
2: necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.